0: I'm Johnny. And I'm Heather. And this is
1: your movie hour. So, Johnny. Yes, Heather. You know what month it is.
0: It is October.
1: It is October. Do you know what happens in October? Um, Here's a clue. I'm eating candy.
0: Ooh, candy time. Halloween happens in October.
1: Halloween happens.
0: Mm. I'm also eating candy.
1: (laughs) I know people have mixed feelings about Mm -hmm. Halloween.
0: Yeah, for good reason.
1: But since this podcast is about being culturally engaged, I thought that... Halloween season might be a good time to talk about horror movies. Do you personally watch horror movies?
0: You know, I would say that for the most part, I don't. I don't watch horror movies. What about you?
1: I watch some horror movies.
0: Mm, Unpack that.
1: So I don't like movies that are just kind of, they have gratuitous violence. Sure. You know, like Saw where it's just about people kind of losing limbs and everything.
0: And getting hacked up.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really have a lot of story to it. Though, Mm. I've never seen Saw, so maybe it does have Mm. like a deep storyline that I don't understand.
0: (laughs) Judging a book by its cover.
1: (laughs) Um, And I don't really watch movies that deal with like demonic possession, which I think is a very common approach for a lot of people who grew up religious or are currently religious. Um, And let's talk about that a little bit later. Uh, But I do like movies that have a lot of suspense. Um, Some of them might be considered thrillers by today's standards. Because you kind of look at the the history of horror movies throughout cinematic history. And early on, you start with things like probably Dracula and uh, Hmm. Nosferatu. Which
0: by today's standards might not... Yeah, really be that, it's more like fantasy, Anyway, yeah. yeah,
1: suspense kind of thing. And then you have, of course, Alfred Hitchcock, who is like the father of suspense. And back then, those a lot of his movies were probably considered horror. Um, this is me going off the top of my head. If there are some people who love horror and film history and they want to correct me, then I could possibly be wrong. Um, but then starting in like the 70s, we start seeing these um, kind of classic horror movies like The Exorcist, um, Mm. Rosemary's Baby, a lot of religious themes starting to seep in. Um, And then, of course, in the 80s, we have one of the movies that is considered kind of like the best horror movie um, of all time, which is The Shining. Uh, There's quite a few horror movies that uh, Stephen King wrote that, kind of gained traction at that time and then in the early 2000s i guess late 90s too we start seeing a lot more stuff like saw and and Mm. and you know but the ones that i really like are stuff with depth and i love alfred hitchcock Mm. oh also twilight zone that might be considered horror kind of like a sci-fi horror huh
0: interesting yeah so i didn't know any of that
1: (laughs) yeah surprise so yeah, I watch some horror, not all of it. I watch it sometimes. That's sometimes, kind of my approach. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes.
0: All right, all right. So we do want to talk about why we do or don't watch horror and and how we kind of navigate that. But as we as we talked about this episode and how we could do it we decided that probably we should step back just a little bit to talk about film and television in general and why it is that we do or don't watch, how we approach this, our philosophy of film and television here at Your Movie Hour. So we're going to dive into that. And then at the end, we'll come back to October and horror films. All right. So... The first point that is really significant for me as I approach film is um, this phrase, every story, a true story. Now, uh, obviously by that I don't mean that every, <laughs> every report that you hear, every story that you hear is factual as in like, this is what happened. Um, but what I mean is Every story that we interact with is a product of humanity and of true and sincere human experience. Even if that experience is only the experience uh, as it's conceptualized from the mind. Even our most surrealist and and crazy mind trip sorts of stories that we see in maybe some very artistic films or, or things like that. Um, or or fantasy, or sci-fi, even all of that, that seems like it has very little basis in reality, is still coming out of somebody's mind. Here on Earth, they were sitting in a chair, they were walking in the park, they were swimming with their kids, something, and they came up with this, and they thought of it.
1: It's informed by their emotions, by their experiences, even if it takes place in a world setting that is far from our actual
0: reality exactly yeah right so so even if someone is say that they are they are straight up trying to to convince the audience of a falsehood if you come at it with a discerning mind you can see that underneath that there is a kernel of truth there is a revelation Of the human character, of what it means to be human, of the thirst for power, for respect, for love, for acceptance, for value.
1: Well, and why are those things believable to people? It's because they resonate with something. Something rings true to them. Even if it's not actually true, it rings true to them one phrase that i use sometimes when talking about stories is it's not factual but it's true or it's not mm-hmm. historical but it's true so maybe if you know let's say you're you're watching a historical fiction you know movie or or reading a book maybe the facts didn't actually happen it's not historical fact But the emotions often ring true or it will speak to the spirit of the time. Mm. So maybe, yeah, there wasn't this guy named Joe that did this thing, but his story and the specificity of his story, it's telling a universal truth. Right. And so we resonate with it and we can learn things from stories, even if they are not true and factual. It really happened this way
0: exactly yeah so so that is kind of the the underlying um it's the foundation for everything that we do at your movie hour the the reason why we talk about these um these stories these films these shows um is because we believe that in them there are kernels of truth there are insights about humanity about the universe about the world that are um, that are deep and revealing and can help us live better lives and, and be more aware of who we are and what it means to be human, um, because every story a true story. let's Let's talk a little bit more, though, about this. Let's Let's dig into this. So why do you think it is that stories are so important for us as people?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is really important if you look at just how the world works. Um, There's a reason why we all watch movies and we like love TV shows and we read books even before all those things. Oral storytelling was uh, a huge part of uh, every culture. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason why that is, me personally, in my belief system, I think that human beings were designed that way. Hmm. Um, even if you aren't a believer in uh, a god or some kind of figure that created humanity, if you do believe in evolution or something... It's still true. Human beings have developed or were designed with this capacity to tell stories and um, to have empathy for characters that are fictional, um, as well as hear true stories about each other's experiences and, and resonate with
0: that. On that note, on the, on the evolutionary point, I, I was talking with one friend um, a bit ago who's coming at it from the evolutionary perspective, and what they pointed out was... Um, that literally like humans needed stories to survive Hmm, in the wild. So a story could be my dad was walking down the path. He picked that plant. He ate it. He He died, died, you know, or my brother walked into that den and didn't come out or touched that insect and, didn't wake up the next morning you know that kind of thing and so so stories the ability to um, communicate through story was literally essential for human survival um and i i think that you know whether you're coming from an evolutionary standpoint or a design standpoint that rings true that rings true
1: this is a little bit of a tangent but i've heard that crows which are very smart if Mm. you did not know crows are incredibly smart yes they can actually, like, pass down stories. What? Through generations. No. Yeah, I heard it uh, on this podcast.
0: They have oral tradition? You heard it on our podcast?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I heard it on a, on a podcast. And, uh, you know, I haven't done a dive, a deep dive into that. But I just thought that that was really interesting. I mean, it would make sense to me that they could. They're very intelligent. Hmm. They can mimic human speech. Not everyone knows that because they just caw at you, (laughs) and it's annoying. But um, yeah, so storytelling is an important part of our world, whether it's animals or human beings. And I think that when you look at the stories that we tell in this day and age as human beings, or even going back for a long time, the story of good versus evil is kind of the foundational story. Mm. I mean, you even look at religious texts Mm -hmm. and, you know, some religious texts address good versus evil more head on.
0: Yeah. More prominently Um, than others.
1: And I'd say the Bible is, is one of those. Mm -hmm. And there's this approach to the Bible specifically, but just the story of humanity in general, that um, Seventh-day Adventists have called The Great Controversy, Mm. which could also be called The Conflict of the Ages. That's another one that's used, or A Great Conflict. And that's what the base of story is. It's conflict. You know, when you take, like, a screenwriting course or something, and they're telling you how to write a scene— yeah. There's always someone with a goal and someone who is an obstacle or something that is an obstacle. Mm. The good versus evil can be boiled down to that kind of essence. There's yep. a goal of goodness and there's an obstacle of evil. And hence
0: a conflict, hence and that's, a controversy.
1: Yep, hence, hence a controversy. Oh, okay. And so if you come from this worldview where, you know, God is real and the Bible is kind of this divine text that talks about this story, you could kind of look at humanity and see that, you know, across all cultures, whether they are Christians or come from other types of religious backgrounds, um, going way far back, there's these stories with conflict and these stories with good and evil. And you could argue maybe that, like, it's kind of in the fabric of us as as yeah. human beings. and. We never get tired of those stories. We mm-hmm. never get tired of the most basic story, which is good and evil, and who's gonna win.
0: Hence, the success of the uh, of the MCU. Yes, and yeah, the Avengers films, and yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and horror films too,
0: and so many others,
1: which we'll get back to. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and i I think I think two evidence of the hardwired nature of stories in our lives and also evidence of you know our need for stories comes through the fact that there are key parts um, of at least what most of us would agree would be key parts of the human experience Mm -hmm. that can only really be taught or caught through story so for example in my line of work I have a textbook that tells me that I should communicate the Bible clearly, that that's the right way to do it. That's the helpful way to do it. I I preach every week almost, and so I should communicate the Bible clearly. But that doesn't, and and I can say, okay, I should do this. I, I want to do this. But that doesn't have real meaning to me until one of the students in my congregation comes up to me after a sermon and says, Johnny, I didn't, I didn't understand any of that. Mm. You know, it's when that person's life and that person's story intersects with my own that I say, oh, I have to do something differently. That, that emotion, that feeling, that value that comes through in story in a way that no propositional stack Yes. Of logical arguments, <clears throat> you should do this. You should do that. You should do this. You should do that. Um, story communicates that in, in a way that that nothing else can, and and we can't learn empathy without stories. We can't learn um, perspective without stories. So there's there's just certain kinds of of learning uh, that you cannot grasp without story. And so it's it's an essential part of the human experience.
1: I had someone tell me once when they found out that I studied film in school. They came from like a pastoral background. And they mentioned to me that they had read this study that talked about films versus... Or like some kind of dramas. I think dramas in the in the church service versus sermons. And he said that the that the study found that the sermon was much better at teaching doctrine. I was kind of taken aback by that because it felt like a personal attack. But as I've thought about it a lot more, I've realized that that's not really. Doctrine is one thing. Learning facts is one thing. Being able to regurgitate information is one thing. Yeah, and
0: it's a valuable thing.
1: And it's a valuable thing. But how many people in their lives, whether they're church people or not, they learn facts, but it never matters in their heart? And, okay, maybe, like, a lecturer is going to teach someone facts better but it takes a heart connection for someone to really internalize it and and change their behavior or uh, have something click kind of in their brain so that they can find freedom from a certain thing yeah. or or Ooh. something like that. Oh,
0: I want to I want to add to that. A mentor of mine um, who really specializes in um, in relational uh, development counseling. Uh, interpersonal behaviors talks about how um, we have this idea that when you address someone's worldview and you change their beliefs, then that will change their actions. However, um, that's not actually how most people operate. Hmm. Most people operate they have they have their worldview, they have their beliefs, but then on top of their beliefs, They have their feelings, and it is their feelings, it's our feelings, it's my feelings that generally dictate how I act. Sure. Not my beliefs. It
1: supersedes My feelings
0: supersede my beliefs.
1: I mean, that makes sense. It's like... If you're having a fight with someone or you're about to and you know, like, okay, I shouldn't, like, I should keep a cool head or whatever, your feelings get the better of you. Your
0: feelings get the better of you and you eat that donut because you really deserve it or you stay up late or you go to bed early or you whatever because you feel feel a certain thing and you respond and you react to that feeling and a propositional argument cannot help you learn how to modulate your feelings yes it can set your worldview it can set your beliefs which which are helpful i mean essential
1: but we contradict ourselves all the times our actions against our beliefs oh constantly yeah yeah i think a great example of this is when you see someone who was struggling in various ways in their life whether it was getting into things that they Mm. shouldn't, crime, whatever, drugs. And then they have a kid. And they change the way that they live their life. And that's an emotional... That is a feelings-based, a love-based change. And those changes, those still hard to do. And some people would love to change, but it's difficult due to various reasons. Um, But those... Those are going to stick a lot more than if you just tell people like, oh, hey, you shouldn't like be addicted to drugs or, hey, you Mm -hmm. should, you know, be healthier in this way or, or whatever. And then the reality of life is more difficult than that. And your and your feelings or your addiction or just the weight of it all kind of supersedes what you know.
0: Yeah. So here's here's where we're at so far. We have every story, a true story. So there's, there's going to be something valuable in everything. There's going to be some sort of nugget, right? So we think about that as we approach stories. And then we recognize that humans are hardwired for story. We see that historically. We see that with the kind of stories that we tell. And we see that with the way that story accomplishes something um, that no other form of communication can for us um but now uh we go another layer another level in and um we have to engage okay so what then do we watch if every story has something true in it you know, and has, and has this great value and, and can, um, communicate some deep, you know, thing for us to experience empathy on a deeper level, for us to understand a different perspective, for us to understand good and evil, the narrative, this great controversy. How then do we make a choice? How do we decide, um, what to watch or what not to watch? How do we at your movie hour choose what movies or, or, uh, uh, Or television shows to talk about. Heather and I just a couple weeks ago went and watched a movie that we thought would be a part of your movie hour because it had had some critical acclaim buzz coming out about it that it was you know really exciting and we watched it and we were like you know.
1: Spoiler alert we didn't like it very much. (laughs) Yeah we just
0: we just didn't really connect with Mm -hmm. it and so we're like uh. It wasn't
1: it wasn't like a you know morally bad movie or something like that it just wasn't the most you know it wasn't super compelling,
0: yeah, and so we probably won't watch that one again, you know, and we make choices on what we include and what we don't include what is what is best, what is good, you know and uh something that really that really drives me as I think about this is um a this, this is actually a, an idea that comes from scripture, um, but I, I think it applies to everyone, regardless of your of your viewpoint or perspective, is um, this concept of thinking about those things that have a positive impact in your life. Um, the way that, that scripture puts it is uh, in this letter called Philippians that Paul wrote um, in the fourth chapter. Um, he talks about, how we should think about, how we should focus on those things that are good and right and true, those things that are excellent and praiseworthy, that we should think about those things. Now, um, that doesn't necessarily mean, um, obviously, Paul is speaking within the biblical context, and if you read the Bible, you read a lot of things that are not good,
1: Yeah, there's some serious, serious violence and like horror movie level stuff going on, particularly in the Old Testament. Um, Some like Game of Thrones style. (laughs) Um, The Bible is not all like joyful roses, rape,
0: uh, abuse, hurt, pain, uh,
1: genocide, massacres,
0: brokenness. Yeah. So, so it's not necessarily a, um, you know, never, never engage something that is negative, um, but rather this, this passage. And when you dig into the passage in, in greater depth, he's, Paul is really pointing out that that in the midst of everything, in the midst of every trial, um, we should direct our attention to the examples of godliness. Around us. Namely, Paul is actually calling people to look to him as an example of godliness and to, in a greater sense, um, to the example of Jesus. But it still applies that we should, as we are engaging content, as we're engaging stories, as we're interacting with the world around us, direct our attention, our focus to those things that bring more good into our lives and focus on those good things, those rich lessons, those meaningful things, those truths, those, um, helpful insights, excellent praiseworthy, those things. If, if this is a story that can help us think about things more positively, then this is a story worth really considering. Whereas when a story has, um, more negative impact on us than positive impact on us when it's very difficult or even impossible for me to engage with a story for me to engage with a certain uh package (laughs) and take something positive from it then that really really is an indicator to me that man this is this is detracting from my life
1: well, and I would say your definition of the word positive, just to reiterate, you know, that word has certain connotation that like it's all roses and joy. But uh, sometimes when we're kind of hit with a brick mm. of a realization, that's a positive thing. Right even though it feels heavy.
0: Yes. Oh, totally.
1: As you're saying this, I I think of some movies that I've watched that, you know, I have a melancholy personality. I can mm. be anxious sometimes and the movies might kind of get under my skin in like a un, like in a good way mm. where I'm thinking about it a lot, but um it also is kind of like haunting me. <laughs> and mm. so for me who I work really well with, like, clear expectations, and I think a lot of people who are Christians do as well. What's right? What's wrong? Give me the the rules. Give me the life hack, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. I hear, even after us having this long conversation, I hear, like, if it affects you positively, and I'm like, well, probably not that movie I watched or whatever. I think what it comes down to is... Does it affect us in a net positive way? And you, as an individual, are the only person that can determine that. Right. Your pastor cannot do that. Your spouse cannot do that. Your uh, community cannot do that. And if you don't want to watch something, there's no reason for you to feel pressured into it. If you do want to watch something and you're willing to like deal with the consequences, so to speak, of how it affects you, that's up to you.
0: It's, it's a, at least for me, it's a, it's a question of, am I actually able to process this? Can I process this well, or do I end up processing this poorly? There are, um, there are certain kinds of content. If I, if I see high amounts of, you know, nudity and sexuality, um, in a film, you know, if, if there's a lot of that, if there's high content of that, like that puts my mind in a, in a place that I'm not able to process very well. It, it makes me focus on that too much. So I recognize that in myself and I say when I watch something with a high sexual content, that's not something that I can process for good, for net positive in my life. Things that are extremely, extremely violent. Um, though my tolerance for violence is higher than my tolerance for sexuality, um, but things that are extremely violent, I, I it just, it, 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 just makes me feel. I can't, I can't process it well. It just makes me feel ill. Um, so it ends up being net negative.
1: So let's get back to horror.
0: Mm, let's do it.
1: How do we apply all of this stuff that we just talked about to? this genre because I think a lot of Christians Mm. tend to shy away from this genre
0: and not just, not just Christians,
1: not just Christians, but I'd say particularly Christians for sure. You know, and you shared earlier, you don't really watch horror movies. Mm -hmm. Why is that?
0: Yeah. So, so it, it gets back to what we were just talking about. Um, this idea of the net positive versus the net negative, um, I have many friends who really enjoy being scared. They, they enjoy the the rush of endorphins, the you know the spike, the the just that, that anticipation. Um, they enjoy that. and um, I've, I actually I have come to enjoy it a little bit more. I watch more suspenseful things and enjoy it a little more than I used to when I was younger, I very much did not. Um, but even now I still have a lower threshold for, for being scared and liking that feeling. Um, that feeling is, is one that's more negative for me. Um, so that's one reason. And the second reason is when I, um, when I watch films, when I watch movies, when I watch shows, there are scenes that stick in my mind. And my mind processes those scenes, those images, those vocalizations, the, the sounds, the, the feelings that I associate with them, all of that stuff, they, my mind processes that in certain ways. And I find that in horror movies, the images that I'm left with um, are oftentimes, again, you know, those moments that scared me. And uh, this may sound juvenile, For a 30 year old man (laughs) you know to admit but like it makes it hard for me to sleep at night you know or I dream about it in a way that makes my life unpleasant
1: yeah I definitely uh, sometimes will like do a quick run from the bed to the bathroom so I don't have to like be close to underneath the bed for very long (laughs) I know it's
0: not very rational the struggle is real (laughs) There is a monster under there. There must be, yeah. So, so I think that's I think that's really it for me. That that fundamentally, I've found that many horror movies, because of the impact of being scared in the moment, and because of how those moments of of being scared, the images, um, maybe the maybe because they're grotesque or um, maybe because they're just so shocking or whatever, the way that they stick with me end up end up bringing more negativity more fear um more more anger more more sense of of discontent of not uh having trust um in in the goodness of the world um and so it detracts that's why what about what about for you you say some kinds, sometimes why
1: Yeah, so I already mentioned this. I don't like super gratuitous violence or just like horror for horror's sake, Um, like gross horror, Mm. but there are some movies that um, have been really impactful to Mm. me, and I'll throw out some titles. Uh, This one, some people may not consider to be horror, but um, I just thought of it. A few minutes ago, it's one of these movies that kind of got underneath my skin that when I watched it, it did kind of bother me. But then as the days went by, I feel like the, the deep truths that this movie was was talking about um, just became more evident to me. And that's the movie um, Annihilation. Mm. There's some scenes in there that, you know, are a little haunting and stuff, yeah. but there's a lot to unpack From that movie. Um, It's kind of like sci-fi horror. Another movie that... um, Or two movies that I watched recently. And I've got to say, I just don't really watch horror movies. So I'm sorry for you horror fans that have like a ton of good suggestions (laughs) that Johnny and I just haven't watched. Um, But I uh, watched It and Mm -hmm. It Chapter 2 recently um, with my sister... And we watched it together, and we were on the even though we live in different places, we were on the phone together. <laughs> um, so it was a little easier to watch, not alone. But those movies, um, they just had a lot of depth to them in exploring what we've been talking about this whole time, evil. Mm. Where does it come from? How does it affect us? How does it uh, seep into? The fabric of a town yeah um so those have been really good ones
0: what do, uh, now uh not to not to interrupt you but i thought of another title what about get out would get oh out my be goodness a i film? forgot
1: about get out yes Ugh. that movie is so good okay this this the, does it
0: count as horror yes yeah okay. yes
1: absolutely even though it was billed as comedy yes, <laughs> for the academy awards you know, the reason for that is it's po- it's political. It's They thought it would be easier to win, like the studio did, if they mm. said it was a comedy. <laughs> so that's what that <sighs> is. Cause... And, there,
0: and there is some comical parts in Get Out. Sure. To be fair. Yeah. But...
1: So Get Out specifically, that brings me kind of to the reason why I do watch horror movies mm. and I do engage. Um And something that I'm kind of saddened uh, about is that Christians often will not engage these things because horror movies have a very specific ability to address societal issues Hmm. and also religious themes Hmm. that other genres, I'm not saying they can't, obviously they can, but horror movies have a very poignant way of doing it and I think it's because it brings things that that we live every day underneath the surface Hmm. things that are intangible like prejudice racism uh evil you know particularly talking about religious themes good versus evil is a huge part of what we what we talk about but those are very abstract ideas and horror movies brings it to the surface and, and shapes it into something that's tangible. Um, and so through horror movies, we're able to address these things.
0: Can you, can you give me like an example of that? Like, I, I think that I understand what you're saying, but like.
1: So I have two examples. The whole premise of Get Out, spoilers if you have not seen it. Though this is maybe more of a thematic spoiler. Is that as a society, often we accept black bodies and black people and black culture to an extent but we really kind of use that instead of seeing them as whole people Mm. so a really clear example of this is that the woman who is like i think the maid it's been a while since i've seen this um you'll often see her like like, looking in the mirror and, like, stroking her hair. Mm. Um, And it's really creepy. And the protagonist notices this and thinks it's strange, and we're not really sure what's going on either. Um, but that kind of translates to the experience of many, particularly black women, in this country where white people will touch their hair without asking. Mm. And kind of like love their hair because it has different texture or, you know, it looks cool. But it's appreciating some things about them, but not seeing them as fully human. And this is illustrated very clearly in Get Out because <laughs> these rich, older white people are literally putting their brains <laughs> inside the bodies of black people because they, ex- they like things about black people. Um, but do not see them as fully human and just take their bodies. And that's essentially the story of of slavery in the United States is we take their bodies. Mm. And even all the way up until now, we use prison labor for a lot of goods and services um, today. And a large swath of the prison population is black. We also celebrate black athletes and celebrities but then as soon as they say something that we don't like we say stay in your lane so that's a very clear example get out is this fantastic example of like protest horror or like societally societal commentary through horror Hmm.
0: to speak to the way that horror can depict in a way that other genres cannot because I mean, because you could have another genre. You could you could have told even the same story. The same exact theme. The same well, yeah, and even even the same exact story, you could make that a lower rating film, right? Like Get Out Was R, right?
1: Probably, yeah.
0: You could make a lower rated movie and you could tell the story you know, and, and it could be kind of a, a campy thing, but because they decided to go as extreme as they did, you see the the evilness of it, you see the grotesqueness of it, the the complete inhumanity with which the black people in this story are being treated. Mm-hmm. that complete inhumanity that captures a reality in society that could not be that could not be embodied in anything less horrifying
1: yes yeah absolutely another example from um it the first movie i mean just so if you don't know the premise of it there's like this clown <laughs> that is kind of terrorizing this town and taking children um And the children just disappear. And there's this pervasive fear um, that the children will go missing, that the parents have. And we see some of the parents, after their children have gone missing, this just pacing back and forth, what happened to my child, this fear And then the kids themselves have their own fears, and Pennywise, the the clown, he appears to the children as their fears. Fear is something that is so intangible to us. The only thing that is semi-tangible about fear is when we have a physical reaction, like we feel terrified, or we shiver with fear, or, or something like that. And Pennywise is a tangible physical representation of that and he can turn into whatever someone's fear is Hmm. and at least in the first movie he can only be seen by the children none of the adults can see him or the effects of the things that he does to cause fear for the children and that is such a great physical representation of what fear is and what fear does to us um How fear can control us, and one of the ideas in it is that because of Pennywise's presence in this town, and he's been there for a long time, um, there's this pervasive evilness throughout the town. Sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle. There's secret evil that happens, there's abuse, there's bullying. And it all happens kind of behind closed doors, and under that's the radar,
0: in a way that nobody sees or experiences, except those who experience it.
1: Exactly. You know, those are movies that really impacted me, and I still think about them mm. all the time.
0: The place of fear in your life. Yes. The, the place of the of, of evil that. That happens unseen.
1: The experiences of others that I um, ignore or don't understand or even perpetuate Hmm. as someone who is white in America today. Uh, You know, all all of those things. And if it weren't for these movies, if I hadn't watched them, I wouldn't have considered these things at this level.
0: Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it takes, um, I know for me, uh sometimes it takes something very dramatic to wake me up to something
1: it's the the facts that you're told versus right. something that is emotional that hits you in the heart and kind of clicks yes clicks for you
0: yeah it takes it takes something big to get some things to click particularly i i think it is those things that are ingrained those things that are deeply ingrained in me in my life because of my habits because of how I was raised because of our society so in one of my counseling classes uh, they talked about um, neural pathways and how neural pathways in your mind the way that you react to certain stimuli certain situations uh, certain people um, are like ditches almost now this is it's a metaphor for the mind, This is not how your brain is actually physically <laughs> structured, but it's, it's like a, a ditch that's created by a stream. You know, the more like every rainy season or every spring, the snow melts at the top of the mountain and it goes down and it finds the little ditches. And every year it eats away and erodes a little bit more. Every time you have the same uh reaction. This is this is how habits are developed. Essentially your mind has a ditch that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's easier and easier and easier for the water <laughs> to flow through it, or in this case, for you to behave in a certain way or think a certain thought pattern or whatever. That they are sort of these these paths that are just well worn in your mind, these ditches that are deep. And so if you have a very shallow ditch then it's very easy to create an alternate path. You just add a little more water, or you just pull out your little gardening trowel and just, you know, pull out a little bit on the side here and one little scoop and it's fine. And, and you go down, you know, you, I could switch my brand of toothpaste very easily. But when it's something that's deep, that's ingrained, it takes something big, it takes a bulldozer. To create a new ditch, a new way, a new way of thinking, a new way of being in the world, and so um, these dramatic things, these dramatic stories that hit my feeling center hard, they can help me think about things, they can release me to think about things differently in a way that a propositional argument can't or or in the way that that maybe a a story told in a softer voice couldn't
1: so horror yay or nay (laughs) yay for me sometimes some kinds
0: you know after this conversation I definitely I appreciate obviously I've seen some we've talked about some that I've seen or engaged with at least I, I feel like I value the genre more after our conversation today and I think it I think it comes down to you know still though though what i said earlier you know you ha- i have to i have to assess and i think all of us have to assess and and i think that um we would we would be better off as individuals and as a society and a culture if we did spend more time thinking you know how do i process this what impact does this have on my life does this really add does this really build or does it detract but i don't think at least for the most part, I think it's safe to to speak in generalities that there, that to say one genre, you know, is completely out or completely in, for that matter, um, that probably that's not that's not fair. Um, that we should we should be more circumspect and thoughtful. Um, I should be. I want to be more circumspect and thoughtful about how I apply this in my life um, and and really be aware of how I'm engaging material around me, stories around me.
1: Well, it's a good thing that you said you appreciate the genre more because in our next episode, we're going to be talking about it. Chapter two.
0: Whoa. So game on. (laughs) Happy October, everyone.
1: Happy October. So, For everyone listening, what about you? How do you approach horror movies? If you like horror movies, go ahead and let us know what some of the ones we should check out are.
0: And even in a broader sense, obviously, a lot of our time was spent talking about the philosophy of film and television and our engagement with it in general. So we'd love to hear you react against that or with that. What do you resonate with? Was there maybe a big idea that was new to you? Um, or something that you just, whoa, I don't see it that way.
1: So go ahead and join our Facebook group if you have not done so already. Just search Your Movie Hour on Facebook. If you have any comments or questions, um, or if you want to send us like a voicemail message, you can just email us at Your Movie Hour at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Your Movie Hour. And if you want to support what we do, please tell your friends if you love the podcast. rate and review us wherever you listen. Or you can check out our Patreon page. We have a bunch of cool perks there, so check it out.
0: This has been your movie Hour. Thanks for listening.
1: Don't forget the candy.
0: Horror. That sounds wonderful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say was, that sounds horrifying.
0: Yeah, I was I was reaching for something that would be similarly punished, but couldn't come up with anything that would be more I don't know contrasting. <laughs>